Ванной шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И при виде их на момент прийти, и сердце нашей земле... Hello and welcome to the SRB podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics, culture and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Guillory. The SRB podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash blog, or to the podcast website, srbpodcast.org, and hit that Patreon button and join the table of ranks. In November, I hosted a screening of Women in the Gulag and a conversation with its director, Mariana Yarovskaya, at the University of Pittsburgh. Women of the Gulag is an Academy Award-nominated documentary that tells the compelling and tragic stories of six women who survived the Gulag. The film is a much-needed intervention in the history and memory of the Gulag, since most histories largely tell of the men caught in Stalin's camps and special settlements. What follows is my conversation with Yarovskaya about the making of the film, how she navigated the often painful and chilling testimonies of these women, and what she hopes viewers will take from it. Mariana Yarovskaya is an award-winning filmmaker and a graduate of the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts and Moscow State University. Her film, Undesirables, won a Student Academy Award in 2001. Since then, she has worked for dozens of programs for Discovery Channel, National Geographic, The History Channel, Greenpeace, Animal Planet, as producer and senior editor. She's also worked on two Academy Award-winning features and one Academy-nominated film as a researcher and directed the award-winning film Holy Warriors. Here's... Mariana Yorovskaya. Mariana, first I want to thanks for coming. Thanks for bringing your film. And, and thank you for, for such a compelling uh, film and portrait of these women. Um, the first thing I want to ask, though, is, is what inspired you to make this film? Why, why this subject? What brought you to it? Good question. Uh, there are two parts to the answer. First, um, it is a personal story, so part of my, you know, my, it's in my family, but not directly. Um, none of the women in my family actually sat in camps, but my grandfather was an actor and director um, of Lent Film and Moscow Art Theatre, and he was um, falsely accused of um, um, treason or treasonous act and he was he was um, uh, exiled he was not arrested or anything exiled from Moscow and St. Petersburg and when he returned to um, to Moscow and he was able to return he was able to act in films but only to play villains bad, bad guys so in a very famous uh, film Chipayev which won the very first Moscow International Film Festival um, actually, this film was presented at the uh, Moscow Film Festival um, as well, which was strange. He was playing the white Cossack that b- kills the Red Guards and says, um, um, everything is well, sir, colonel, the road is free. So, um, and I'm his granddaughter, so um, it, it is a bit personal. And then uh, secondly, when I started uh, making this film, and was, um, I was working 
on making videos for the ever first Holocaust Museum in Moscow, which was built in 2011 and is deemed the largest Holocaust Museum in the world. And while I was working on 3D videos for that museum, I, was, I got surprised that they now have the largest in the world Holocaust Museum, and they did have a Gulag Museum, but it was two tiny rooms um, where they played BBC videos on the loop. Um, but uh, about four years ago, they opened the proper Gulag Museum, so that changed. But when I returned um, that year to Moscow, I thought I need to do something like a Gulag Shore, something big, maybe question you know the last remaining um, survivors. And I met Paul Gregory at the Hoover Institution, who was uh, uh, conducting a conference on totalitarian regimes at the time. And he suggested that I uh, narrow the task. We, um, there was Anne Applebaum there at that um, institution. She's actually an author of a Pulitzer winning book um, called Gulag. And she said, it's too late. You know, everybody is dead. You wouldn't be able to do anything at this point. And we just decided to narrow the task. He said, I'll write a book, uh, you'll make a film. You know, but I'm writing it about five women. Um, so maybe you can take some of my characters. Uh, some of his were dead by the time. Um, so it took him one year to write the book and it took me almost seven years to make this film. So this is a long answer to your question, sorry. Uh, so how did, you, how did you find these women? Because they, they are, you know, very old and most of the people who live through this period are, are either very old or have died. So did, did he find them or did you find them out of, you know, two, track them down? Two of the five women, uh, two of the six women were in Paul's book. Uh, Fyokla Andreeva, uh, um, the one uh, with a frog in her mouth story, she died last year. Uh, so, but at the time she was alive and there were memoirs that were stored at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. And uh, the second one was uh, Adila Basagli, the Abkhazian princess with who is now still alive. She's 99 years old, but deaf and blind. Uh, so, um, and the rest we found through this nonprofit organization called Memorial. It's an organization that is not supported by the government um, and is acting, you know, working in Russia as a foreign agent. So foreign agents are nonprofit organizations that receive support from abroad. Uh, so they're labeled as foreign agents. And um, uh, so um, they, keep files and uh, we just looked through maybe 40 different uh, biographies and uh, selected a few that would be from different social classes. So we had a peasant and we had a musician, we had a simple nurse, you know, we, so just different. And again, this is a short version of the film, the one that was actually listed for the Oscars, but uh, uh, we have an hour-long version which is slightly longer, but we still have same characters, just with, with a little bit more emotional uh, more emotional scenes and so so what so what did we not see in terms of <laughs> a more emotion I mean because what we what we saw I think was pretty emotional but um, just a little bit more of that mm -hmm. some more pauses you know maybe some stories there was a story when Yelena Posnik who says I don't know you know I was arrested in June you know <laughs> and the uh, documents uh, say in July who should I complain to so she um, tells a story of a um, uh, uh, how she was um, put in a solitary confinement and uh, there was a half-burnt rat, rat who was coming and visiting her in that cell 
and she doesn't, you know, so she was probably scalded with hot water, and she was taking care of that rat, like she was feeding that rat for a month. She became a nurse later. So these kinds of scenes um, that um, just a little bit more into, or Levitska would describe Solzhenitsyn's assistant about the gynecological uh, uh, examinations that, the, that they would subject women to. Um, just some more personal, um, and a little bit more, just slightly more background too, because um, prisoners were uh, arrested in, in waves. So there was a wave in the 20s for peasants, you know, who were um, dekulakized. It's a term, you know, when they were taken from their villages and put in collective farms um, outside of their homes, you know, everything was taken away from them. That was 20s mainly. Then 30s, when it was enemies of the people, political prisoners, Stalin's enemies, you know, wives of Stalin's enemies. And then 40s, uh, returning POWs, prisoners of war, who um, just happened to be in occupied territories during a German invasion. So those people, you know, if they were like Levitska or Posnik, so that there's a little bit more background than that. Um, I want to talk about the, the opening scene. Um, because it really sets up, I think, the, the, one of the contrasts that goes throughout the film. And that is, it, it opens with this parade uh, in Moscow uh, with, you know, Soviet flags and then this, these shots of memory, you know, Stalin, people revering Stalin. Uh, and then there is the, the, oh, the shot of the, the ruins of a uh, prison camp. Right. Right. Um, and this, of course, is, is the, it sets up this dualistic thing about memory of this period and, of course, the memory and experiences we get from the women in the film. Um, talk about this. Why did you open the film with this contrast? Um, I, I thought we had many discussions because we had so much, so much time to make the film. I thought that the film should be about the fact that there was no apology to these women, that there was never a big remorse, a big monument, or a big apology. That has never been done. And uh, so, you know, Communist Party should have should not have been so prevalent in 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 Russia today. I think, and. Um, um, you know, we see one camp in the middle of the film, which is the only camp that became a museum. As we know, in you know, after Nazi Germany, um, pretty much all camps became museums. In Russia, there is just this one, and everything else um, they were either destroyed or purposefully, or are there in ruins, like we see in these drone drone shots in Kalima, um, or uh, they continue to be prisons, just not for, just regular prisons. So that was never um, uh, that was never resolved, right? You know, and this is what the film is. Uh, I think this is why I made the film because I don't live in in Russia now. I live in Los Angeles, and uh, it actually helped me because when you live somewhere, you don't notice how water is slowly heating up, but when you get yourself out of the situation, go do other things, and then return you jump out of that hot water immediately because, and, and, you know, because you feel how different it has become. Did this, this, these scenes of reverence of Stalin, did they surprise you? Every year they surprise me. It's, it's for Stalin's birthday and for Stalin's funeral. Uh, there are these communists that come to celebrate him. So every year this, this is happening. And uh, there are all these bookstores where they sell books you know, about Stalin or by Stalin or by his peers. Um, 
Yeah. How did these women regard you when you came and you wanted to hear it, put them on camera and hear their story? How did they receive you and uh, in, in your efforts to make, in your desire to make this film about them? I think um, everybody who has gone through, or a lot of people who have gone through a huge trauma, uh, one of the ways to heal it is maybe to talk about it. So, um, and a lot of them didn't really want to talk about it with their families. Um, so all of them talked very willingly with us. Um, and with uh, these uh, women, we would just buy a gift of cake, you know, go to the house, have a couple of conversations friendly or just record one bad interview, just put somebody in front of the camera and have two hours of really bad, boring interview and then spend more time with them when they would say something more interesting and more um, heartfelt. And what, what about their, because we did get some shots of their, their relatives or children. That's, um, there's a term for that when you don't want somebody in the frame, but they wouldn't leave the frame. I think there's a professional term for that. The people who, so it's, sometimes it's impossible to, to tell somebody that we just want her. So we, we left, we left it like that. But were, so, how did they, how did they receive you? I mean, were they protective? Were they? First of all, protective. And second, they wanted to take part. Uh -huh. So they just wouldn't, yeah, they wanted to be there. So it, that was difficult to separate. You know, this, this film was nominated for an Academy Award, which I think is anytime a film about uh, Russian history is, is recognized like that, I think it's extraordinary. Um, <laughs> so uh, what, what has been the reception beyond from viewers, just regular viewers to this film? Because I know you've been going around the country and showing it. Have you shown it in Russia? And what was yeah. the response there? The film was um, opened uh, at the Moscow Film International Film Festival. The thing is that when um, uh, when we first, you know, I think at first when the, the news, uh, the news about the Academy came out, um, it was, Russians did not pay much, much attention, but as things progressed, first, you know, the liberal media, media reacted, Voice of America reacted, and then, and then we, and then they became very proud that, you know, a, you know, some like a Russian film, that this is, was, was shot in Russia with a Russian crew in, in the Russian language. So they invited us officially to open the Moscow Film Festival and uh, a Russian TV channel two, or Russia, uh, bought the film. They, they yet have to show it, but, uh, and Airflot, Russian Airlines, is now showing it on their flights. Um, domestic and international starting November 7th, which is the day of <coughs> October Revolution. So go figure, it's completely, it's a little insane, the, 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 the um, uh, dichotomy with which uh, Russians treat the subject today. A lot of this, I, I'm trying to, to formulate the question here because it's, it's it, the, the, the trauma that of this experience of these women um, and, and their stories of the conditions in which they had to survive through. But, it, you know, they survived. And I, and I think that there's something to be said for their resilience. Did you get a, a sense of, and they've grown to old age as well, did you get a sense of how they survived and how they reflect on their survival? No, you know, I think because uh, we we ended up just to, you know those of course who didn't who who didn't have these abilities, you know, we can't talk to them, right. and uh, I think partially is each of them had a purpose, 
especially you know just always had a purpose and even now had a purpose this is what i saw it's it's obvious in the longer version um because for example Fokla, the 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 frog in the mouth story um uh, peasant she got her phd after this and she um uh, started teaching students and um, basically that's an, that's something that the, the longer version has and this was doesn't this one doesn't um, it wasn't after Stalin died um, those people were forgiven but they were not rehabilitated in order to be rehabilitated you had to actually write a petition to the officials with a request to be rehabilitated and then you would get your paper saying that there is no crime committed you you know you're rehabilitated which meant you could return to the big city where where you're arrested from, and you could get a job. But a lot of these, or you could get work, but a lot of these people, they were illiterate or didn't know how to do this. So Fokla was writing and typing this for years for her countrymen, and she rehabilitated over 500 people over her life. So that was something that she did. Levitska was helping Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote the, 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 the main flagship book on um, uh, Gulag, uh, main camp administration, right, Gulag. Um, so each of them had, uh, and then Adil uh, Abbas Agli wrote this book of memoirs called I Cannot Forget. These are people who, um, who always, always had a purpose or would find a purpose. And also they're not very dark people. Their, their strength is in, in ability to, um, to look at the positive sides of life, right? You know, that's, that's what I felt. And uh, unfortunately three of them died already, so... Um, the uh, woman who walks uh, away from us saying, forgive me, everybody. Uh, she was the first one. I think she died the year we've made the film. The woman who plays the piano, uh, tries to play the piano. She died two years ago and then Fokla did. You said that this took you several years to make. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you live with this film for a long time and you're still living with it. Um, how did this doing this film change you? I think it will take a while. <laughs> I think to to it it will take some some more time. I think to answer that question because for now I'm still a little close to it, and I'm thinking of new projects and we're starting starting new projects. I think the biggest lesson that I learned um, for myself that is very important to finish what you start. If you if you don't finish it, it means you haven't started it. It's as good as never started. So the fact that we actually led it to completion said to ourselves, this is time to, you know, you, you, you never finish your project or your film. You abandon it. It's clear. There is always something to improve. There is always something. And um, when you're 90% done, it's very tempting to never finish it because you're um, always, you know, there's always an excuse, you know, to, to, to linger. And I think that um, it took a lot of uh, decision making to say, okay, this is it, good or bad, boring or not, you know, whether people like it or not, I'm done and I'm walking away from it, it's, it's done. <laughs> so this is my personal quest for this. And for these women, I learned um, that uh, it was indeed um, different, the, the experience of women and the experience of men, because um, it's more obvious, again, in the longer version, but women mostly um, experience their trauma, not through what happened or was done to them, but what was through what was done to their families, through separation with their sister, or loss of their father, or the fact that their mother was led away from them. So it felt to me that women were less centered or focused on 
their you know ideas or size of their cells or you know something that what men would write about more but were focused on on their loved ones w- was this surprising for you i mean when you i never th- thought of it when i started and i only um thought of it when the film was in progress or in closer to done that you know this is what was different so i because I, I wanted to ask you you know the fact that this this film does concentrate on women and the lives of, of six of them. Um, you know, besides the, what else did you learn about the, the women's experience in arrest, interrogation, and, you know, forced labor surviving these camps um, that you would like to communicate to an audience or have them take away from it? I think that um, uh, one of the writers about the subject, Varlam Shalamov, said that women in camps were slaves of slaves. So they were in a completely much worse situation than men, but uh, this is a short film and it's a tip of, tip of the iceberg. And we really wanted to make it PG-13 and we wanted you know, for people of all ages everywhere to be able to watch it and not turn away from the camera. That's one thing. And. Um, from the from the screen and uh, also these women partially did not want to talk about something that I'm sure was happening uh, and very prevalent in these camps like rapes and uh, um, violence they were they were describing what was happening to people around them but they were not talking about themselves and they didn't want to push them uh, and uh, I did also didn't want to include too many stories of what happened to other people so but there are many, many accounts and memoirs. If somebody is interested, again, that's what tip of the iceberg is. You know that that every um, memoir and account would have that for for women. That their experiences, I think, were uh, physically as hard because they were, you know, cutting trees and all that. So, but they also had other layers to it too. You know, you have this generation that experienced the '30s and they're dying out. Um, how do younger generations? Uh, in, in your experience, in your interactions, um, how do they understand that period and the gulag system and, and, and you know, political violence and rep- Stalinist repression in general, and Stalin himself? I think there is no uh, good education or centralized uh, opinion on that in today's Moscow or today's Russia. I actually went and bought some some history books for ninth grade just to read what they write about this um, uh, Stalinism, you know, in 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 the 2018 history book. And they basically um, started the chapter with the successes of industrialization in the 30s, and then um, the second was, you know, Stalin's. Uh, how you know they were destroying upper commandment but there was really n- next to nothing about how um simple people suffered and not the millions that were killed you know there was really uh, very very little information and then at the end of the chapter there was a quiz um not a quiz but like a selective choice you know there were three quotes of three different historians and the offer was to to pick one of the three quotes and they basically said what do you think you know were repressions necessary you know was stalin great or was he awesome you know so there was basically nothing uh not even a possibility to 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 doubt what was what was happening and these um, history books have been rewritten since the 90s because when i went to school it was completely different and i attribute it to putin's um, situation to putin's regime because it's not in 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 the interest of his electorate to support the organization where he comes from 
or not to support, I mean to, to condemn or to critique, to critique, to criticize the organization, which is um, FSB, which is KGB, that committed all these crimes, um, where Putin comes from. So while he's in power, this history will not be straightened out, and it will be um, like this, you know, balancing. Um, so I think people think, depending on what their families explain to me, if they come from, from the, to them, right, you know, if they come from a family where somebody has suffered from repressions and they tell their kids what's happened, then, then they would know. If they come from the family who were the, the oppressors, you know, then, then they would think differently. Um, I was interviewing a crew member for the job. I was looking for a Russian editor and one of them came to me, but he was in his 40s. And he said, I don't understand why you have Stalin in your, in your film, because most crimes were, not commit, were committed by small managers on locations and he didn't even know about it. So clearly I didn't hire him, but um, it's also a prevalent point of view that, you know, like, um, the father of Vera Hecker in, in our film, that, you know, this belief that he had no idea and everything was committed by um, small managers in, on locations. Yeah, this actually goes to something that I was thinking about and I didn't know what to make of it. So um, there's a lot of they. They arrested, they came. Uh, there's no, there's there's very actually at least from what we saw in the film, uh, you know, Stalin is there, but he's kind of a a ghost hovering over. Um, how did how did they understand the reasons for what happened? How did they explain it to themselves? Perhaps at the time, I mean, were you able to get that? And then after, um, <clears throat> I mean, I think for one. The woman who assisted Solzhenitsyn is probably pretty clear, but for some of the others, what sense did you get that how, in the sense of who they, um, you know, felt was responsible? Like you also have this really interesting scene where one of them says they ran into, she ran into her interrogator, uh, and she couldn't, yeah, she couldn't for, forgive him, um, which I would imagine would be an incredibly like emotional moment. It could uh, have been another film, like a fiction film, right? Kind of. <laughs> And what the, when when you start the uh, you know in the, in the beginning of the film there is a quote by Akhmatov who says that half of Russia that you know two different Russias will look each other in the eye the ones who 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 was putting them in prison and the other one who sat in those prisons so this exists to this very day um, and um, it w it would have been interesting to 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 uh, interview um, KGB you know and, and KVD. Um, guards, you know, somebody, you know, those, the, 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 those in power, but they all di died and um, they were older. So if our women were in their teens when they were arrested, so those people uh, would have been 100 years old. So that, that was just, we couldn't do something that uh, Landsman did with Shaw when he interviewed both sides. So that, that would not have been possible. Um, I think that uh, some of them are very aware, but um, Again, you know, we wanted the, the witnesses. They're not political analysts. They're not politicians, and they, they just, um, I think, um, the peasant, you know, that we interviewed, she was not, she didn't understand, you know. She, she was saying guards. They came. They brought us. I think there was there. There is no big awareness, and one of them was even a monarchist and was saying, well, we, you know, it was probably better when the czar was there. Um, so we didn't 
touch on the, on the uh, and they watch so you know they they grew up and they've watching Soviet television so there is a sometimes a mess in their head mm. um, except for maybe Levitska and you know the, so they're different depends on the on the class and situation and I think it reflects because some still don't understand and don't have that um, uh, big understanding they they knew it was horribly unjust but as far as Stalin goes I think that they they pretty much understand. We wanted to make, there has to be a villain in every story. So in our stories, Stalin is a villain. Um, and, and finally, you know, watching this film, and, and here I'm, I don't know if this was your intent, but I'll just speak for myself personally. And watching this film, I don't, I don't feel it's a film where I kind of passively go away, you know, after watching it, right? This film is supposed to, you know, inspire you to do something or to inspire you to to uh to take something from it you know it's a it's a it, for lack of a better term to me it comes across as an activist film in the sense that you don't want your audience to be passive consumers of of these stories so i mean first a is that is that one of the intents and and if not then then how do you what is how do you conceptualize the mission of this this project to me uh Partially, I think it's an educational piece. <laughs> um, it's also educational for the Russians, too, because um, uh, back in the 90s, they almost overcame communism. They almost carried out Lenin from the mausoleum. They almost uh, condemned Stalinism. But that didn't happen, because when Putin came to power, he um, slowly started... Um, uh, he slowly started changing the political climate and the situation. So he started um, positioning Stalin as an efficient manager. And so, um, and he would say things like, on camera, he would say things like, excessive demonization of Stalin um, can be perceived as a direct attack on Russia, things like that. Because Stalin, uh, Putin wants to be um, an efficient, strong leader himself, he would praise somebody who was an efficient leader in his opinion in the past. So um, to me, it's first of all educational, and second, uh, um, just something to think about. Think about you know the issues of communism in today's world. Um, that's what it was for me. You know, I, I'll show a couple of photos, but um, it's definitely not dead. <laughs> and um, you know, it's it's. Um, um, and, and, and the issues of genocide, that it will definitely repeat. It will definitely repeat. So this is not just, and you know, we don't want to, to be naive to say that it will not repeat, but it's just to know what, um, how we came to this mm -hmm. also to, to, this is very, it's very important to, to understand that. And of course, in a short film, you can't explain it, but just to have the curiosity. That was Mariana Yarovskaya an award-winning filmmaker and graduate of the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts and Moscow State University. Her film Undesirables won a Student Academy Award in 2001. Since then, she has worked on dozens of programs for the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, the History Channel, Greenpeace, and Animal Planet as a producer and senior editor. She has also worked on two Academy Award-winning features, and won Academy-nominated film as a researcher and directed the award-winning film Holy Warriors. 
I'm your host, Sean Gillery, and this is the SRB Podcast. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and listeners like you. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog, write a review, or recommend the show to your friends. The SRB podcast comes cheap, but it is not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at srbpodcast.org. Thanks to all my high excellencies, high wellborns, and noblenesses for your continued patronage. You can find past shows on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you can download them directly from srbpodcast.org as well. Until next time, bye. I should be